Yesterday morning, as I put cider and salt and burnt orange leaves on the altar for the equinox, I thought about how protests can be spells, how by unfurling that banner from the top of the building, we anchored our intentions of what we want for this place. As day and night line up with our bodies in front of the doors, we reset the balance that is so off. How with cloth and intersections, we weave together the web that connects us to this place and each other. We weave the net that holds and catches us as they push. We weave the ropes that tie us with these actions to a national struggle for home. As I look around at the community we have built and nurtured, I think how we reap what we have sown and they too reap what they have sown as these landlords have to deal with the community wrath at their greed. Let us prepare our homes for autumn May we stay with love. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Rent to Power Hour brought to you by uh, Tenants Together. Uh, my name is Eduardo Torres. I am the Northern California Regional Coordinator with Tenants Together, and I'm joined here today with Lupe Arreola. I'm the Executive Director for Tenants Together. Amy Inglis, Program Director. Welcome, Amy. It's her first podcast with us. Yay, my first podcast ever. Yay. <laughs> um, so once again, we want to thank everyone to, who listened to the first uh, podcast uh, that we put together. Uh, we received a lot of, you know, good compliments from folks, right? People are really excited to have, you know, a podcast. Thank you all 220 of you <laughs> who have so far listened to a, our podcast. <laughs> yeah, so big shout out to all 220 something 220 220 to be exact she's counting she's counting <laughs> i mean hey you know we we talked about this last episode why it's so important to have our own podcast so we could shape our own narrative and tell our stories and being able to share news to other folks um so on that note let's kick it off with some local updates and first thing i want to talk about is share with folks is um concord has a new tenants union citywide tenants union yeah. For those who don't know, it's definitely a um, long time coming in the city of Concord, which is in the East Bay. It's a suburban community in the Bay Area, East Bay Area. And so it was very exciting to help finally launch the Todos Santos Tenants Union in Concord. Um, and it's a citywide tenants union. Why is it called the Todos Santos Tenants Union, Eduardo? <laughs> well, you really set that up, didn't you? <laughs> well, um, the tenants there felt that it was time for them to reclaim the old name of Concord, which originally was Todos Santos. Um, so the tenants there, um, you know, came up with the idea of saying, hey, let's, you know, reclaim the name of the original, well, not the original, but the people who lived there before uh, Euro-American colonizers came there. And so Todos Santos was the name of, of the uh, ranch that was in that area. And so um, that's why the name was chosen. So... 
Los Santos Town Chino. That's awesome. Yeah. And congratulations. This is something that's been years in the making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, thank you. But again, you know, it's all about the tenants there in Concord who put all the work and effort to actually make it happen. But um, it seems to it has been inspiring other people to talk about tenants unions. And we've been getting some calls and emails about uh, other folks in different cities uh, wanting to form citywide tenants unions and, and building wide tenants unions. So, can we give a shout out to Betty really quick? Yeah, Is that okay? We have to. I mean, I mean, Betty Gabaldon. I mean, obviously, Betty Gabaldon is a. Is a tremendous warrior out there fighting for housing justice in Concord, and uh, she's now the president of the Todos Santos Tenants Union. So, congratulations to her and to Jessica, the vice president, and to all the tenants there of the Todos Santos Tenants Union. And big ups to them for stepping up. Woo woo! Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> <Just> excited. <laughs> I mean, it is exciting. It I mean, is. It's very exciting. You know, like I said, you know, there's Hayward, uh, Vallejo, other cities are talking about building tenants unions now and and stuff like that. So. Um, and it, it did get some some nice press. The mm-hmm. launch did get some nice press, and it was in response to the city city's inaction, not adopting meaningful tenant protections. And so the city, the tenants there said, "Forget this. We're organizing ourselves. We're going to provide the resources to the community that the city isn't going to mm-hmm. be able to do." I mean, that's exactly what why Tenants Together was founded. It was because we know that. We're not going to get the answers from the state. We're not going to get these answers from Mm -hmm. the market or from the economy or from the capitalism or companies. We're going to find solutions within our community, and we need to push for those solutions. And to do that, we have to form associations and tenants unions and be able to push our own demands. And so, um, you know, it's, I mean, definitely tenant unions are, you know, the lifeblood of definitely the tenant movement. Yep, that's it. Um, on to other local updates. LA unincorporated LA County passed rent control, guys. Yay! Woo! Yeah, and it was a lot. Of, yeah, those, table yeah it's here. a little cheerleading table over here. <laughs> we, we, I mean, we, we have a lot to be excited about, you know. Um, but you know, it, it was definitely a lot of organizations that were involved down there. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm in Northern California, but I know Jorge, our my counterpoint. Uh, counterpart uh, was down there helping with that movement as well. But um, finally, LA unincorporated LA County has rent control. And it's something that myself, who I live in unincorporated county, is like now starting to think about, like, how can we do this up here, too? Um, so big ups to them for getting that win. And also in Culver City, uh, they have a rent freeze that they adopted. Let's hear it. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yay. That's dang right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Culver City passed a rent freeze, and this it's a temporary rent freeze. Do you know happen to know any other details, Amy, besides it's a rent freeze? Is it temporary? Is it... Yeah, I mean, I think by definition they have to be temporary, mm-hmm. but I know folks there are working towards uh, longer-term real rent control, mm-hmm. uh, and that is what we need, and that's that's uh, exciting to see the city council take action so quickly, mm-hmm. and I encourage other city councils everywhere, all over the state, mm-hmm. to, to keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep, keep doing the rent freezes. <laughs> keep freezing the rent. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Please. Thank you. Yeah. And then we also have some news out of uh, Modesto and Fresno. Um, 
Modesto in particularly, they just passed a rental inspection program, which is a big deal because if, you know, folks who are doing the work out there working with tenants, we know that habitability issues are always a big concern. And it's always a big reason why to organize in buildings because, you know, people are living with mold, bed bugs and stuff like that. So uh, big ups to Modesto for passing that. And I think Fresno is in the works right now to actually adopt a similar program as well. So Central Valley is also getting involved with some victories. Yay. 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 <laughs> Sorry, I fell asleep there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be on it. <laughs> and I was, um, I was fortunate enough to go to Fresno last week um, for, they had a, a training on new laws and it had a lot of the local legal aid organizations there, some local uh, grassroots organizations. And, you know, it's really wonderful to see um, definitely that level of engagement around tenant rights in Fresno. Yeah. Um, and it definitely makes me hopeful that uh, Fresno will also continue to follow the lead of other cities and really implement some strong tenant protections locally. Yeah, I mean, because there's that's a big need. I mean, just in general, like just myself, what I'm seeing here in the Bay Area with cities that um, I've come across with where there's issues with habitability. Um, you'd be surprised how many cities don't even have like a very good or even a functioning like inspection program. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something I have encountered even on the county level in Contra Costa County where like they have, um, you know, um, just general inspection, but they don't focus on rental inspection. And there's a big difference. You know, mm -hmm. when you send someone out there to do code enforcement inspection, it's not the same as someone going out there doing a rental inspection program. And I think next level for people to reach for is not just a code enforcement program that exists in response mm -hmm. to tenants and mm -hmm. like, will answer people's calls because there's a number of, like you said, code enforcement offices that are like, we just don't talk to tenants, mm -hmm. um, is actually having people employed by code enforcement who are part of the community, mm -hmm. who are trusted by the community, who understand that they're working for tenants and you don't end up with, like, there is a, there is a reality sometimes that uh, they're not centering people in the work and people can also be displaced by code enforcement officers that aren't trying to like really work with the tenants and you know work with the landlord and make sure the landlord is making repairs mm -hmm. not just like red tagging a building and now everyone has to leave like that's not what we want to see so like anything any kind of tenant protections it's important how it's done as much as it being done you know and I just want to like lift that up as as a as a goal to have like community centered code enforcement programs. I totally co-sign on that because I just like I said I mentioned cities who have some sort of code enforcement in place or something a big you know complaint from tenants has always been like the person who is doing inspection has like no empathy um is just really like well you know if I report this you're going to get evicted. It makes people not want to report their problems. And I feel that this is so, I mean, having an effective code enforcement that, you know, will back up the tenant, especially when there's a lack of, um, you know, a lack of repairs. And there's, it's, I mean, it, it's so central to that, even the smallest amount of responsibility that a landlord has to a tenant for the rent they pay 
um, you know, you're supposed to be getting services back for the rent that you pay. And when you don't get those services, who is there mm-hmm. to help ensure that you do get those services? And then two, that you're not evicted or have your rent raised um, because you're at, you're demanding those services. Right. And again, this is like the basic part of that business relationship that tenants have with landlords and landlords have with tenants, which is that we're paying for, you know, to occupy the space and we're also paying for the services that come with repairs and it comes with repairs and safety and so on. And Mm -hmm. if that's not being provided, you know, the city does have the responsibility to ensure that, um, that the landlord is meeting their end of the bargain. And thanks again to a tenant association in the 1970s for the warranty of habitability we have in California. Yay! (laughs) Happy Tenants Union Month. Yeah. Can you, maybe for folks who don't know, who, who is that tenants union that you're referring to? I remember the case was called Green versus Superior Court, but I'm trying to remember the name of the tenant association. Gotcha. I wasn't alive in the 70s. <laughs> I was, but I'm not going to comment <laughs> on that. What year in the 70s I was born? <laughs> Lupe, no Ditto. pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm good. <laughs> I wear my 40s loud and proud. That's it. Mm-hmm. 40s are the new 20s is what I keep telling myself. But my body doesn't agree for some Your reason. body <laughs> says absolutely not. <laughs> uh, right on. So on that note, uh, before we move on, I, I just want to remind people, if you're listening, if you're a renter living in California, Tenants Together has a statewide hotline. So if you're in Eureka or down in Calexico, California, you could call us and uh, with your problems and your issues. And we want to be able to you know, have that support for you guys. So if you're listening to us and you want to give us a call, our number is one 495 That's one 495 And Lupe, go ahead. Let us know that you heard about it on our podcast. Yeah. We want to know how you, hear, how you heard about us. So Yeah. If it, well, I'm going to go off on a limb and say if you mention the podcast for this month only, you get a free T-shirt. No. Okay. <laughs> Can um, we have a volunteer to help us with the mailing? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we'll do that. I will help with the mailing. Hey, if you listen to this podcast and you call our hotline and you, I for got you. For the month of October. Just for the, <laughs> you got to put a 30 day limit on it. So yes. for the month of October. We only have so many t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> but we do want to get our swag out. Yep. <laughs> so once again, if you are a tenant, a renter, and you're listening to this podcast and you are facing issues, uh, please give us a call. One triple. 1-888-495-8020. We have how many counselors helping us? We have about between 40 and 50 counselors mm. and volunteers. Actually, they're all volunteers who help us um, throughout the entire week to return as many calls as possible. Um, is it okay if we take a second to give some tips to people who, who give us a call? Sure, absolutely. Great. So here's some tips. If you're going to call our hotline um, and you have a, an issue, a tenant rights issue you want some um, information, information on, here's some tips on how to get the best out of our hotline. One, please be clear and concise on your message. Leave your name, your phone number, and what the issue is. Okay. Two, Please answer your phone when we call you back. Um, it, this is actually an issue. So many people don't have their voicemail set up 
or don't answer unknown numbers, myself included. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when we call from a 415 number, people sometimes don't answer. And so, you know, our counselors have such a limited time to be able to get back to people that, you know, when we call, we want to be able to reach you. We want to be able to talk to you. Um, you know, so please, if you if you call our hotline, we definitely are more than happy to talk to you. But please leave a, a a short, concise message, your name, your phone number, what city you live in, what the issue is, and please answer your phone when we call. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah, we're not telemarketers. <laughs> we want to help, so answer your phone. Yes. <laughs> right on. Well, um, let's talk about some statewide stuff. There's a couple of things to talk about. Let's talk about SB 329. Lupa, do you want to take the lead on that? So, the legislative season is over for right now. And so, I'll, so now that the, you know, the battle has ended for this year, for the legislative year, um, so here's one of, the, one of the definitely significant wins that came out of that. So that would be SB 329. So SB 329, um, what it does is that it prohibits discrimination based on if you have Section 8. So we've all seen Section 8, um, no Section 8, right, on all types of, um, you know, um, rental ads on websites, on Craigslist, newspapers, if you still have it in newspapers, right? Everywhere you see no Section 8. And so what this bill does is that it actually prohibits that. So everybody who, and all the property managers who have, you know, Craigslist ads with no Section 8, you're going to have to go in there and edit it (laughs) because it is now going to be illegal for you to discriminate based on, um, uh, whether somebody has a Section 8 voucher or not. And one, it is one of the few ways that people are able to get a, a consistent and permanent or you know, uh, mostly permanent um, rental subsidy from the federal government. And two, um, it's one of the few ways that um, you know, residents who are not making these really high incomes are able to afford rents in, in, this, in these really high-cost cities. And so um, the fact that this is no longer going to be a reason why you can deny somebody housing, that their rent is partly being paid by the federal government, um, that, you know, I think that is really substantial and that's really important. And thank you to everybody who sent um, a letter to your local representative, who called their local representative, who told their stories um, to help um, highlight the need for something like this and the need for SB 329 and and that for it to pass. So it's exciting. So it passed. It passed. And where is it at right now? What's um, the so right now it's still to be signed by Governor Newsom. So if, does it look like it's going to he's going to sign it? Well, there's no reason why he shouldn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, so if you're listening to this and govern so Governor Newsom has until October 13th to sign SB 329. So, um, you know, we need to all pressure him to that, make sure that he signs it by October 13th, which would be next Friday. And um, if he doesn't, we're not going to be happy. <laughs> if he doesn't, it'll be it'll be a huge, 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 huge slap in the face yeah. of every tenant that has struggled to get housing with a Section 8 voucher. Yeah. Amy, do you want to add anything to that? I just want to mention how excited I am about yeah. this bill passing mm-hmm. because in... Uh, 2016, I helped work on a similar bill, SB 1053, which was at the time sponsored by former Senator Mark Leno. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think it even got a floor vote. I'm trying to remember. I think it got out of 
Judiciary Committee. I don't think it even got a floor vote in the Senate. Uh, And um, we talked about the year after bringing it back and having it limited to like, maybe it'll work. It'll go somewhere if it's only limited to veterans or something. This is the usual like Sacramento legislative formula. Can you limit it to some group of people that everyone's supposed to care about? Mm -hmm. So like, okay, maybe veterans. Um, And uh, our folks, our partners, Western Center, didn't move forward with with doing that. Um, And then it was brought back again this year um, with uh, Senator Holly Mitchell. Uh, And so she's fantastic. And I'm just like, want to say it was just like so heartbreaking to not see that go anywhere a few years ago. And like, what a different political moment we're in, where like this bill is... Um, like that bill at the time was considered like controversial and, oh, this is, you know, too much. And like this year there were a lot of other tenant um, uh, protection bills, which we'll keep talking about. And it was kind of able to to ride the coattails of that. So, um, yeah, just a little bit of legislative history If for some folks who might feel like, oh, well, that's that's mm. not enough. That's not totally what we need. You know, like this is actually a big freaking deal in this <laughs> in this legislature. So. Yeah. I mean, it's huge because, like, how many, like, you know, as Lupe mentioned, you know, like, how many times have we seen online ads where, you know, here's this apartment that's available, but no Section 8 big cap letters and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm really excited because I've had friends who have or had Section 8, and over the years, they've all told me the same thing, you know, how hard it is to get into housing, so. You have one week, Governor Newsom, (laughs) sign the bill. Yeah, Gavin, listen to our podcast, sign the bill. (laughs) So uh, let's go, uh, are we done with SB 329? Is there anything else we want to talk about within the bill? Yay! (laughs) Yay! Yeah, it passed, yay. Yay! <laughs> you guys are getting it down. <laughs> uh, right. Now let's talk about uh, AB 1482. All right. Let me take a deep breath before that one. Sure. Um, it's going to take a lot of yeah. breaths. Okay. So AB 1482. So AB 1482 is a bill that recently passed our California legislature. And it's... It, so it was definitely a very important bill in that it um, it proposed some a rent cap um, f- across the state for certain types of units, and as well as proposed um, as uh, some just cost provisions. Um, just to be clear and to be upfront, um, you know, tenants together, we did not take a position on the bill because even though it was definitely an important attempt at the state level, um, we felt and still do that it is not sufficient to actually deal with the housing crisis and the high rent, the crisis of high rents that we have in our state. And there's a, and so just to put that out there, we think that the power, while we need, we can fight for better state legislation, you know, state laws, state bills, um, and we're building to that, and we're building to that every year. Uh, we do believe that the power does lie with local tenant unions and local ordinances that are enforceable by the elected officials and representatives that people have to directly answer to at all times. Um, but um, so what AB 1482 does is that, so it sets a rank cap of um, 5% plus the consumer price index 
either regional or state, depending on whether your city falls under a regional consumer price index or not. Um, And it sets um, that as a rent cap. And it also sets some um, just cost provisions for evictions. Um, That would be, for example, and so let me back up just a moment, is that, so who is covered, right, by this? Um, So it it does, it is limited to um, one, multi-unit buildings that were built before the last 15 years, and that's going to be on a rolling basis. So as a Starting January 1st, 2020, which when it's effective, um, it will be units built, multi-unit buildings um, built up to um, January 1st, 2005, right? Um, And so, and that's going to be building on every year. So every year, an additional year of buildings is going to get added, basically. So basically, like... Next year would be 2006 Six. and then yeah. 2007 Seven. And, and just to be clear, um, AB 1482, it sunsets in January 1st, 2030. So this is a 10-year law, basically, mm-hmm. that's going to be on the books. Um, and so and so, so it's multi-unit buildings. Again, they were built as of right now, built before January 1st, um, 2015. Sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm moving this around too much. Sorry. Um so and it's so it's that it's duplexes where um, the owner does not occupy uh, one of the units, um, and it's also um, applies to single-family homes that are that are owned by a corporation or that are owned by an LLC, which is a limited liability corporation, where one of the entities is a corporate entity. So where one of the entities is not a natural person. So in other words, like if my, uh, I don't know, like my brother's friend owns multiple homes and he doesn't have an LLC or he's not a corporation and he's spreading them out, do those tenants, are they covered? No. So it has to be, so if it's a natural person, um, then then the, the house is not covered. The single family home is not covered. Uh, which is unfortunate, uh, but it's really it was that was more geared towards um, companies like Blackstone Invitation Homes, which is Blackstone. Um, you know, as we know, there's a lot of global entities and global financial entities that have been getting into, um, you know, into buying up single family homes and becoming Wall Street landlords, basically. And so it was really geared towards those specific companies. Although we would argue that. All single-family homes should be covered, but um, because of you know, partly because of Costa Hawkins, the right. way as it stands, it, right. um, they're not able to do that. And so it does cover millions of units, really, across California that were previously not covered by any type of um, limits on rent increases, and were not covered by any kind of just cost protection, right? Which is good, right? We need that. Um, so in terms of the just cause protections, sorry, in terms of the rent increases, um, so again, it's capped at 5% plus the consumer price index, the increase in the consumer price index, which is going to be usually about 3%, to be honest. So that means that a landlord can raise the rent up to about 8% a year, right? And most people can't even afford that. I mean, it's, you know, if I got an 8% rent increase, I know I'm going to be bugging out. Well, that's 
kind of one of definitely one of the problems with the bill is that it deals with kind of those more egregious rent increases, like people who are getting $200 rent increases a year, $500 rent increases a year, which are absolutely morally and ethically horrible and wrong, but unfortunately is not dealing with the those, you know, those rent increases up to 8% a year that become destabilizing within a couple of years, right? So within a couple of years, your rent would have gone up 16% if the landlord um, basically enacts the highest rate they can on the rent cap. They don't have to. The law doesn't say you have to increase the rent up to this amount. It says this is the limit. So in a better world... Um, and I hope that still some housing providers and property owners will continue to do this is to not increase it to the full extent. You don't have to do that. You can, if you've been increasing it 3% a year, that's fine. You can still increase it 3% a year. You've been increasing it 5% a year. That's fine. You can still just increase it 5% a year. You don't have to increase it to the, um, the full five plus percent, sorry, 5% plus CPI, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, exactly. It's going to deal with these bigger kind of more rent gouging type of, it's not rent control, right? It's not statewide rent control. It's not rent control by any means. Uh, it's just, it's supposed to deal with these bigger kind of rent gouging. Like, like that's pretty much what we've been seeing across the state too, is, is like a lot of rent gouging, but, Mm -hmm. um, like I could just imagine how landlords are going to say, well, you know, Hey, I could just do a 10% rent increase Mm -hmm. every year. You know, mm-hmm. and it's up to ten percent. Yeah, up to ten percent. Yeah, it doesn't have to be plus. Yeah, I mean, it could be at ten percent. Uh, well, and it, that would be basically so. It's five percent mm-hmm. plus the the increase in the consumer price index, mm-hmm. which is usually about three percent. Yeah, but if that changes in the future within the next yeah. ten years, it can't be over ten percent overall. Right. Right. So it does cap it. Um, but again, if you're paying two thousand dollars a month in rent, which many people are across the state now. Um, and you get even a 10%, even, you know, a 8% rent increase, you know, one year, I mean, that's going to be over a hundred dollars. Right. Um, and if you, you add that up over the next 10 years, I mean, that's still going to be destabilizing in the long term. Um, you know, again, which is why this is definitely not considered statewide rent control. Um, it's again, it's useful for these more, you know, egregious rent increases, um, although I would argue that having your rent increased, you know, 8% a year is still egregious. Still high. <laughs> you know? That's still high. Um, but um, especially, you know, as we know, wages are not going up to the same extent. So our wages are not keeping up with the rents. There is no jobs housing fit, you know, where the housing that's being built and is, and is priced at for the jobs of everybody that's in the area, including the service industry, including janitorial industry. So anyway, I could go on that forever. But um, going back to 1482, um, when it comes to the just cause provisions, um, it does set some parameters by which a landlord must provide or reasons why they must provide when they give you a notice to vacate. So it includes things... And that's effective immediately as soon as... No. What? What do you mean? Yes. So first, let me talk to you about the reasons and let me tell you tell me, please. why it's not effective immediately talk to me. Talk and to me. why that kind of really sucks. Um, so 
in some of the reasons, they're, they're split up between fault and no fault reasons. So the no fault, so fault evictions are things that we normally see as reasons for eviction. So non-payment, you know, trashing the place, um, refusing to sign a contract that's materially the same as the one before, um, you know, illegal use, you know, those kinds of things, right? Um, and then you have your no fault reasons, which are reasons where the tenant was not at fault and it's a action by the landlord. So those are like your analysis act eviction. You're moving it from the from the housing market. That's um, uh, one of well, one of the things that definitely is concerning to me is the, the owner move in and the relative move in provision. Right, the owner wants to move in a relative or a, or a, or themselves into the building, mm-hmm. um, as well as if they are going to substantially re- rehab the place. So they have to provide a notice, right? And they have to give, in, for the no-fault reasons, they have to give up one month of either a rent reduction for the month, for one month, or give the tenant one month's rent as a relocation payment, basically. And they have to do that within 15 days of giving you the notice. And the notice must state that they're evicting you because of this reason, which is a very clear change in the state law because up to now all they have to give you is a 30 to 60 day notice with no reason and then that's it right at least now they have to provide well starting january 1st they'll have to provide a reason um and 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 possibly have to pay some money right um to the tenant um you know in order which is not required under current law right so the problem, like you said, is it is not effective immediately, which means that, um, you know, right now it's today, it's what, October 7th, 4th, 4th, right? the 4th, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the okay. days start just, just hey, meshing together, you my, know? It's, yeah, I'm already into 2020. Don't worry about it. Right. So, you know, so basically right now it's October 4th, right? Uh, we've been getting definite, we've been getting concrete reports of people all over the state that have been receiving 60-day renting, rent, sorry, we've been getting reports from people all over the state that have been getting 60-day eviction notices as a result of, or basically in preparation for 1482 taking effect starting January 1st, right? Um, and so basically at this point right now, the landlord can still do that. They can still, they can still give a 60-day notice to vacate. Right. And so, you know, and that's definitely one of the concerns when you pass a law that does not have an immediate eviction moratorium included um, and protects tenants before the law goes into effect. Well, just speaking on that and on that, as far as like going into effect. um, So now that 1482 is going to get signed, we're hearing that is probably going to get signed Tuesday. Right. That's what we're hearing. Um, that means that as soon as I get a you know ten percent rent increase next year, or I get a some sort of UD next year, um, you know, Amy, I could just go to you know my local city and say, hey, I got this you know eviction notice. Help me out, right? Is that how it's going to work? You mean a- implementation? Yeah, implementation. <laughs> you know, how's that going to work? Um, you know, maybe Amy, do you want to touch on that a little bit? Uh, well, I mean. You would need to find an attorney because there's no, there's no like statewide, say, if this was statewide rent control, which it's not, it would come with a rent board. 
and it would come to some with some recourse for if you get a rent increase above the set amount or if you um, that you could go to some kind of decision making body where they would help you. Right. Uh, so that's not the so case right now. There's nothing that goes along with 1482. So yeah. Im- implementation could be very tough is what I'm hearing. Right. Like, in other words, there is no plan for Im- implementation. Yeah. I think there was a bill um, that died uh, trying to get more funding for legal aid. That was a bill that died. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a bill for a rent registry this year that also died. That would have helped with enforcement around the corporate landlord piece. Wow. Um, we got a lot of work to do. Yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, because if there's no process there, then... It's kind of incomplete, it sounds. And so this is always the pitfall when we have a state legislation that we have, especially with state legislation, is the implementation part, right? Um, You can pass a law if you don't have a plan for implementation. You know, how are you going to enforce it? How is it going to be enforced? And so, you know, definitely the people who push for this law, including Representative David Chu, including some of our, you know, partners and allies um, who pushed for this law, you know, it, it was done with the intent of, uh, you know, addressing some of these, you know, kind of the, the ongoing housing crisis and the high cost of, of rents in California. But to do that without a plan for implementation then makes it so that people are left to have to figure out how to implement that on their own. You know, and then um, for so for example, we talked about legal aid. You know, legal aid is not accessible to everyone. One, if you're undocumented, if you make one dollar above the still relatively low um, income threshold that they have, um, if you can't get to a legal aid because it's two hours by car because you live somewhere out in. Kern County, for example, um, and you can't even access legal aid. You can't get the time off of work to go there. Um, all these things that there are barriers, current barriers to people utilizing the little legal services that there are. Um, if you know, then you you'll be at even a worse disadvantage than somebody who even knows to go to legal aid to be like, hey, help me enforce this, because there is currently there's no directive um, at the state level. Um, or real, like, concrete penalties. And again, yes, these things can be built in, right, in future legislative years, hopefully next this next year. They can be built in, but what happens in the meantime? In the meantime, people, like right now, entire buildings are getting notices to vacate in 60 days. Um, right now, people are paying these really high rent increases that they received since March 2014, or sorry, since March 2019. And even though the rent might go back to what it was before this last big increase, starting January 1st, because that is part of the mandate is to roll back the the rent to what it was in March 2019, the landlords won't have to pay back those overpayments, right? So that's thousands of dollars out of a tenant's pocket that they'll never get to see again, right? Um, and again, also, I would have loved to have seen more, something more in there about the landlord's responsibility to keep 
the place habitable and like repercussions for not doing that, that would have to do with being able to, you know, enact these rent increases, um, which was not included in this bill as well. So, I mean, obviously, this, that the bill isn't perfect. We know that. We could acknowledge that. And Yeah. I mean, I think everybody can agree the bill was not perfect. Right, right. Um, I think everybody can agree that they're like, well, that this is the best that could be, that this was one, that this was the best that could be, um, that, that people could get at the state level. Where I would disagree is that this is the solution. <laughs> I definitely disagree about this being the solution. Um, I think this sets a very low bar, but it sets a low bar for um, what landlords have to do. Um, but I think the key, and we, I think we all have talked about this and agree, that the key is to then continue pushing local cities and local jurisdictions to pass stronger tenant protections, stronger rank, stronger just cause to pass temporary, I mean, sorry, to pass permanent and effective rent control. Um, and, you know, this bill isn't going to do that and it, this bill is not going to do that. And so we want we definitely want to make sure people know is that this is not the solution that is going to help alleviate this crisis, but it sets a low bar. It sorry, but it sets a low a low floor that we can start building off from. Well, speaking of building off of, we're going to talk a little bit about CARP. And thank you for that update about 1482 and SB329, but we do have a great update and preview of carp and is that a fish it, it sounds like a tasty fish i love <laughs> fried carp <laughs> or is it a statewide california renter power assembly what happening next weekend yeah amy do you want to talk about yeah. that? oh my god we, we i'm just really getting ready to talk about it <laughs> Uh, we have been organizing so hard on so many things over the last year, but one of them is a renter assembly. Uh, our our second time tenants together worked on a statewide renter assembly. The, the first time we did one of these was in 2017. Uh, this year, we went all out helping to organize uh, Northern California Regional One, Southern California Regional One. Those happened earlier this year. Um, shout out to our co-conveners, Homes for All, uh, Homes for All California, Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, a uh, number of local member organizations um, all over the state and been getting together, planning this thing. And what is, I think to me, super exciting about it uh, is we are trying to push ourselves to vision long-term, uh, not just anti-rent gouging, right. uh, real rent control. Mm-hmm. Can we have vacancy control in California? What? What is, what is that? Yeah. Um, and can we have decommodified housing? Can we actually, like, tenants own their own housing? Sounds exciting. And not have as many landlords. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Perfect world, right? I mean, some landlords are cool, right. but um, often people can do uh, things themselves. So, what are we going to do? We're gonna f- we're gonna try to figure that out next weekend. Uh, 
long-term 10-year vision, um, some short-term vision, uh, and uh, how are we going to get there? We're going to try to collectively strategize. This is going to be, just imagine a room full of 400 plus people uh, hashing it out, debating, strategizing, coming up with uh, a collective uh, vision for the next 10 years and how we're going to get there. So, uh, so that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to do. And it's going to be like a, fun. yeah, it should be. <laughs> I hope so. I'll be there. Yeah. Eduardo will be there. Lupe will be there. Come find us. Yeah. Come find us. But Amy, when is it happening? What time? Where? And what city? I, I want to know more about that. <laughs> October 11th through 13th, so Friday night, if you're Mm. coming in from out of town in particular, um, town is Inglewood, Mm. so it's going to be in Southern California, because the last one in 2017 was in Northern California, so we like to... To, to, to switch it up, you know, acknowledge all centers of power in the state. <laughs> mm, mm. We can work together. That's it. We really can. Uh, and there's something fun happening Friday night, though. I mean, there's like a documentary being shown and discussion. Yeah. Yeah. There's a documentary uh, that um, we have some artists who've been working on that for a while. It's going to be a new showing. It hasn't been shown before. Uh, meet and greet. People have some food and drink and music and hang out and get to know each other a little better. Uh, and then Saturday is really the big like vision and strategy day from, you know, nine to five all day. We're going to be working hard. And then Sunday morning, there'll be workshops, uh, and then Sunday afternoon, trying to bring it all together, see if we have a cohesive plan for the future of the tenant movement in California. Nice. Uh, So if you want to be a part of what we're going to do next, uh, come come join us. Tenants and their allies are welcome. Uh, there, it's going to be a fully bilingual event, English, Spanish, uh, there will be childcare, um, there will be a beautiful healing space. Some, uh, local healers are helping to hold down uh, a lot of culture, music, you name it. So it's going to be fun and we're going to work hard. And it's happening at what high school is it? Morningside High School in Inglewood. Inglewood. That's yeah. It. Really yeah. excited about going so there. So thanks again, Inglewood Unified School District, for yeah, hosting shout us. Shout outs to them. Big time. And um, if I'm listening to this podcast um, leading up to the CARP, can I just show up? And do I need to register? How's that working out? Registration is closed, but you are welcome to, to show up. And... Uh, we're we're planning for that. We're planning for folks mm. who who didn't necessarily know about it already and want to just show up. Uh, so please do. What, what about like information? Where can I find more info about that? CARenterPower.org has the location. It has more information about what we're doing. <laughs> Great. I'm excited. Um, I registered late, but I, I'm registered. I'm there, guys. Do you have your ride to I, go down? I, I have reserved my ride, and I'm still waiting on confirmation about my hotel. Wink, wink. Um, and we're good to go. <laughs> uh. <laughs> we're good. We're good. I'll be there. Uh, I'll be there. We'll be there. <laughs> I think I might have a couch you can crash on. That's good. 
um, all right. Well, thank you so much for that update, Amy, because a lot of folks are really excited about California Rent a Power Assembly. And, um, you know, and this is something that uh, I, I remember going to the first California Rent a Power Assembly, which was in L.A. in, in 2007. Yeah, it was the same year we did this other statewide one in Alameda. But this one was in February in L.A., and then mm-hmm. we did it in Alameda. Mm-hmm. And it's a really great opportunity to connect um, with folks, not just folks that you work with regionally, but uh, across the state and for everyone to get on the same page and, you know, come up with a strategy to win in California because we really need it. Let's talk about what's happening right now in the Bay Area. And I believe it's also happening kind of in California in general. There's a corporation named Reliant um, Property Management Group that is displacing a lot of families across the Bay Area, in particular Vallejo. We've had uh, incidents there of displacement, mass displacement of families there, and um, Hayward, and even Aniac, which is in Contra Costa County in the East Bay. Um, and what they are doing is basically displacing folks um by claiming this low-income housing tax credit, and we call it, uh, what do we call it? Litech. 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 That's such a... What's in that alphabet, Steve? <laughs> Is it a fish? No, it's not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, I mean, just no, before I, you kind yeah. of explain about like the tax credit stuff, because I'm just getting versed myself about this stuff and i've been helping the tenants organize in ENIAC, and there is a city council meeting on tuesday um where tenants there are going to speak about what's happening to them but maybe kind of give an explanation of how that's happening um but not just with the folks who are under reliant but across the state or or, or cases like that that's happening right now because it seems to be happening a lot more lately Mm -hmm. so let me start from talking about um So over the last 30 years, especially, there's been a huge disinvestment by the federal government in uh, subsidized housing, affordable housing, um, and really have been kind of taking, you know, HUD has drastically cut its budget, its housing and urban development. Um, It has drastically cut its budget and has been providing record low amounts of um, funding for cities to be able to build subsidized and affordable housing. So because of that, and that combined with the loss of the redevelopment agency in California a few years ago, but under Jerry Brown, caused there to be really a huge gap in resources to build affordable housing and as well as, um, yeah, but basically to, to, for resources to build affordable housing. And when I say affordable, I don't even mean like, Public housing, right? Because public housing will always still be federal housing. Um, But what I mean is just, you know, housing that's affordable to people that, you know, make minimum wage, you know, affordable to people that make, you know, 20 bucks an hour. You know, it's 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 really housing that's affordable to working class people. Right. Um, And so because of that, we started seeing a rise in um, low income housing tax credit housing. Uh, or construction as well as, and so what the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program does, it's basically, it's a program under the IRS, um, and at the state level, it is actually also handled under a tax-related department um, that specifically provides a, a really 
good amount and a high amount of tax credits um, to developers that are willing to build. Traditionally, at least, it's been to, to developers that are willing to build um, housing that was at certain income levels, right? So it was usually at about 50% of area median income or, um, you know, and, and so it was, they said, hey, we'll give you these huge tax credits, right? If you build this housing at below what the market, what, you know, what a market rate apartment would rent for, right? And so that's not a bad thing. You know, that's actually a way, that was a way that um, you could build more affordable housing, even if the the federal government wasn't providing any more money for it, right? The problem is that, one, there is very little, um, there's very little accountability for this program at the state and the federal level. I mean, when was the last time you tried to deal with the IRS, you know? <laughs> and and why does the IRS have anything to do with how affordable housing is built? Well, I mean, that's kind of the problem I'm, I've been facing with the tenants I've been working with in the ENIAC is that... Um, yeah, I mean, they go to Echo Housing for assistance, but then Echo Housing has their hands tied. At the same time, you know, they're trying to contact the state, and the state's telling them, like, yo, you know, this isn't, they shouldn't be doing what they're doing, but then who's enforcing all that? Mm-hmm. And so. Well, and kind of a bigger problem of what's happening right now is that more and more we're seeing, one, we're seeing kind of these big private developers like Reliant. Um, you know, one, you know, get into the, get into the industry of building light tech funded housing, right. Which they didn't before, right. Before it was mostly nonprofit developers, right. Who still had some level of accountability to what they were building to the people who live there. But now when you have these corporations that are building this housing, that low income or light tech, um, low income housing tax credit buildings, um, they for them it's an investment for them it is a profit driven model that they're going in doing that building it and then leaving um but the other problem too is that they're no it's no longer about building housing the problem what's happening with the reliant case is that they're actually taking over they're buying an existing building right it's already built that has people who have been living there yeah. for a while yeah. and are then converting it to the low income housing tax credit program and that's for Forcing families out. And that's forcing families right. out because what if, again, what if you don't meet the requirements of the low income housing tax credit program or light tech? Mm-hmm. If you don't meet those requirements, then they couldn't be, they're going to be able to evict you. Yeah. And that's what we've been seeing in Vallejo and ANIAC mm-hmm. is, is a lot of these families who are like, we're living there for years and they're telling me, yeah, I've been living here for 15 years. All of a sudden, you know, Reliant comes in and I don't qualify to live here anymore. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but they're they're asking people to leave their units while they make up, you know, they're supposedly doing these repairs and, and improvements, uh, but they're really not even doing that. They're just, mm-hmm. they're not even like fixing landscaping or anything. And, and they're really pushing people out to leave sooner than they should be. And, and that's the opposite of what this program is supposed to be doing, right? This program was created to supposedly, to, to provide some benefits to developers and mostly nonprofit developers to build permanently or at least sustainable and affordable housing, right? To keep people housed, to keep people stable in their communities. What the way these companies are using that is the opposite. They're using this program to actually go in and displace people who ha- who has stable housing, 
right, um, in order to get these tax credit benefits, which is the absolute opposite of what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, and I'm totally seeing that everywhere in Vallejo, Aniac, Hayward. That's basically what we're encountering. And these and these are buildings where working class families are living right now. Like I think, you know, it's not luxury towers or or something. It's like that. This these may not necessarily qualify for the the particular building and um and be considered low income, but they're like maybe lower middle class, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's, um, it's important to keep families in their homes, you know, wherever they are. And like, it's, it's those, these types of buildings that aren't even, you know, are, I guess, naturally occurring affordable housing, (laughs) you know, and that's why they buy up buildings like that because they can turn them around and make a profit. And, you know, so we are seeing that, you know, tenants are actually fighting back, which is really exciting, actually. Um, so, for example, the tenants you've been t- working with out, you know, with that, sorry. So, you like the tenants you've been working with out in Vallejo, you know, out in um, Antioch, all these other areas are getting impacted, you know, are saying, no, this is not okay, actually. You cannot, um, you know, you cannot evict me so that you can bring in somebody else that's going to help you make money, which is essentially the same reason people are being evicted everywhere, right? Right. Because they can charge more for that unit, this right. time by using government subsidies. Yeah, right? I'm in, and a tenant was telling me the other night that um, they were paying um, 1100 and they looked up, uh, and she showed me on, on on Zillow or whatever application she pulled up for rental housing, and she same you know same apartment building sixteen hundred. Mm-hmm. They're charging now. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that because the low income housing tax credit program, it actually um, it allows it gives a range of what um, rent can be charged for certain you know area median income ranges. And what ends up happening is that then you have, um, you know, companies like Reliant and even some of the nonprofit developers, to be honest, charging like the highest amount possible in that range. Right. They don't have to. Right. So much like we were talking about with AB 1482, that even though it has like there's a rent cap, right, you can charge up to this much. You don't have to do that. But then, you know, because these companies are are so profit driven, they're like, we're going to squeeze every single dollar that we can out of these buildings. And they're doing that under the guise of supposedly creating affordable housing, which I feel is really the most like like nefarious thing of all. <laughs> yeah, they're lying to the public. They're lying to... They're actually lying to cities, too, because, you know, the mm-hmm. city of Antioch approved the project, and now the city of Antioch has reliance on their agenda for a city council meeting on Tuesday because tenants are being displaced. And I think that's why we need not just affordable housing, but decommodified housing. Yes. Housing is a human right. Yes. It should not be for profit. And also, for example, even here in San Francisco, recently... Um, you know, the, there was a building that is a light tech building where they were getting, you know, pretty substantial rent increases and they fought back. They said, no, actually, um, you know, 
we cannot afford this. And you're actually working against, you know, affordable housing by doing this. And they were actually able to get that rent increase negotiated down because they don't have to charge that full amount. They don't have to charge the highest amount in that range. Right. They can easily charge less. Right. So they were able to, because they fought back, mm-hmm. they were able to get that develop or that owner, that developer who's currently running that building to charge less right. than that amount that, um, that the highest range in, in, of, sorry, they were able to then have the landlord um, re- decrease the rent because and to decrease the increases because he can. And also, um, we need to ensure that there's some better accountability at the state and federal level for the light tech program because yeah. that is where the majority of affordable housing funds are going to be coming from in the next years, considering that the federal government is further reducing um, subsidies for, to create affordable housing. And, um, you know, and so that's going to be where it's going to be coming from. And we need a better account. We need some accountability from that program. Yeah. They need to step up their game because people are getting pushed out and we already have a housing crisis. And when you have like affordable housing being affected even more, that just creates even a bigger mess. So, well, we are done. We're wrapping up now. So just before we, um, do you want to say any last words before we wrap up? It sounded like it looked like you were going to say something. I'm just sad because this is so much fun. <laughs> well, there'll be more episodes, hopefully. Lupe uh, wants to do a weekly podcast. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Let's really talk, talk about that. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, just um, thank you to everybody who's listening. You know, definitely we want to hear feedback. If you have any feedback for us, um, you know, if you want to call our hotline, if you have an, a tenant rights question, again, it's 1-888-495-8020. Leave your name, your number, your city where you're calling from, and your issue. Be clear and answer your phone when we call you back. Any last words, Amy? Well, and if you want to volunteer for that hotline, too, we always welcome more folks because we have a lot of calls in that queue to get through. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we even have like callback days, right? Like dedicated callback days because we're getting so many calls. And and this is why our hotline was set up for that reason, to try to help as many tenants as possible. And we're also starting a statewide counseling network. So even if you're not in the Bay Area, able to volunteer in San Francisco, there are a number of local organizations you can volunteer and counsel and support your neighbors learn your rights form a tenants union today yeah form a tenants union contact your local tenant rights group hit us up though tenants together Mm -hmm. well um i know i'm sorry i keep interjecting okay also please if you are able to um please support this podcast and support tenants together um by donating what you can um www.tenantstogether.org um we you know we don't accept money from big banks you know big corporations and would really appreciate your support. Great. And I'll just give ourselves a, uh, one last plug. Uh, if you're in Northern California and you're looking for organizing needs and you're interested in trying to set up some sort of support system for um, a movement that you're trying to build in Northern California, um, you could contact me, Eduardo, at TenantsTogether.org. Uh, same in Southern California. Uh, we have a Southern California coordinator, Jorge Rivera, and you could contact him at Jorge at TenantsTogether.org. I also want to give a shout out before we end this to Fred for coming in and um, recording the intro that we had in the beginning of the show. Big shout out to Fred from Housing Rights committee for coming in and recording that beautiful piece you've been listening to the renter power hour brought to you by tenants together listen to us next month